welcome to episode 206 of the Energy Talks podcast. I'm energy and climate journalist Markham Hislop. I'm going to be talking to Drew Uchuk, a public interest lawyer at the University of Calgary and a source who has helped me uh, in the Unethical Oil series and done many interviews with me about the Alberta Energy Regulator and Alberta oil and gas uh, regulations. So welcome to the interview, Drew. Thanks for having me again. Well, you've got a new ablog post out called Now 40% Worse, the Mine Financial Security Program in 2023, and you co-authored it with uh, everyone's favorite environmental lawyer, Martin Olszynski at the University of Calgary. So a bit of a shout out to Martin. Um, and the reason for this is we're talking about the oil sands mines. And the uh, in 2015, the Alberta Energy Regulator started Directive 11 to, to do some kind of a calculation about what the oil sands environmental liabilities are. You had to clean up, you have to, you had to clean it up, what would it be? And that number is 130 billion. And I use 150 billion now because of inflation and some, you know, whatever. So it's in that neighborhood. And only a billion dollars has been collected in security. And I, this mine, mine financial security program is supposed to be collecting security, hasn't seen any money in it for years. But what's really important about your post is you highlight that the AER has increased its official liability amount for these, for these liabilities. Maybe give us the background, give us the overview of it. Uh, so the mine financial security program joins both coal and oil sands mines. Coal mines are smaller. Uh, some of the numbers don't line up exactly like they should because coal will be mixed in with oil sands. The program does gradually take some money from coal mines. Mostly we won't talk about them, but there's a bunch of rounding errors and things. Those are mostly caused by coal. Uh, but before this, in past years, we've seen the amount of liability very slowly going up year over year, sort of consistent with mines getting a little larger. So we see it increase by a total of about $3 billion from 2019 to 2022. And then from 2022 to 2023, there's this big 40% jump of about just a little more than $13 billion. And the regulator doesn't provide any real explanation when well, they say inflation, inflation's like 4%, why did it go up so much? Uh, and given that there are doubts, as you mentioned, that the number wasn't accurate before that, why, why have they bothered to go to another number that also doesn't seem totally reliable? Well, this, this seems to be consistent with how the AER operates. And in just a moment, I, I want to say to the listeners, uh, we're going to, uh, Drew and I are going to discuss the, the mine financial security program uh, a bit, but then the bulk of the interview is going to be talking about the Alberta Energy Regulator and how it regulates the, the uh, oil sands, uh, the lessons we learned from part two of Unethical Oil, uh, our series, investigative series, uh, because the same regulator that does conventional or oversees uh, conventional oil and gas production oversees the oil sands. 
So, you know, very similar, a lot of the same people, the same culture, same act and, and regulations and so on. And, and the lesson, what we learned in the, uh, in the, in part two, and, and Drew, this came from a document that you provided. Uh, there's this great letter from 1995, where the, you know, the, it's, I think it's an internal memo where you can explain what it is, Drew, but the, what, what, what the regulator does is say, you know, all these years, 60 years now we've been regulating and we, we thought that the oil companies were going to do the right thing, that when they, a well came to the end of its life, that they would just, you know, spend the money to reclaim it and restore the, the site back to its previous condition, the way they're required by law. And my God, we discovered they don't do that. And in fact, now that we're looking into it, we've discovered that they go to all, all sorts of shenanigans, like liability dumping, to avoid their liabilities. And now we have these huge, like, you know, 90,000 wells that are sealed but not reclaimed. The sites aren't reclaimed. And, you know, now at one point there was 97,000 wells in the suspended and inactive uh, category. And I mean, it's just out of control. It's, and the naivety, naivete of the, of the AER regulators, it seems to be exactly in play when it comes to the oil sands. So this the, the 1995 document by Leo Touchet with the the EUB I believe at the time uh, was talking about the change in enforcement approach and how they had not expected the large companies to sell their aging assets to smaller companies uh, rather than deal with the liabilities and on the oil sand side that switch uh, hasn't happened yet the regulator is still dealing with large, what it sees is very solvent and, and well-funded companies, and seems to still have that same trust in them that it previously did in all of the companies in the conventional field. Yeah, it, it, this is quite quite remarkable. And um, most of the planned remediation and reclamation isn't even slated to begin until after 2050. So here we are in the smack dab in the middle of a global energy transition. Um, three weeks ago, the International Energy Agency came out and said that oil demand was global oil demand was going to peak in 2030. So if you know, you can make a reasonable assumption and many forecasters, uh, reputable forecasters like Bloomberg NEF have done this, say, okay, so, you know, it's going to peak and then it's probably going to plateau for a little while, maybe three to five years, let's say, and then you're going to have demand destruction. And so instead of having 106 million barrels a day of of demand, uh, you're going to have 100, and then 95, and then 90. And so what's that going to do to the industry? You know, are the volatile prices, lower prices, are we going to see a bunch of producers go bankrupt? And, you know, are they going to drive? Who knows? So between 2030 and 2050, the industry literally could see some of its players go bankrupt. They could fail. This is the backdrop against which we're having this conversation. So it's extraordinary that the Alberta Energy Regulator takes none of this into its considerations. Yeah, uh, the AER seems to be following the general province of Alberta's lead and not really taking the 
either climate change or the climate change related energy transition, which is underway very seriously. The regulatory systems were built for the assumption that all of these resources were going to be used up, that almost everything would be pulled out of the ground before industry was going to close down. And so there are timelines for getting closure liability issues addressed fit with that assumption. Yes. And, and that therein, therein lies the problem. And one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you about this, this bigger context for this is that I'm working on a column about the Imperial oil, their Curl oil sands plant. It, that in 2022, May of 2022, they discovered discolored water on the on the surface of the snow and uh, didn't do anything. About, well, no, let me rephrase that. They did what they were supposed to do, which is the, the company tells the, the regulator and then the regulator inspects and then they, they take remediation. Well, they did a bunch of testing first, which fair enough, you need to know what you're dealing with. And then they took some mitigation efforts that included drilling new monitoring wells and drilling new pumping wells. And they figured out the root cause of it. And you can read all about that in my column that's coming out in the next day or two. I don't have to, I will summarize the whole thing here. But what we're finding out is that this was not just like a sudden catastrophic event. If you go back to the, as I've done to the uh, Curls groundwater monitoring reports that are produced every year, you see trends. You know, there was there was more and more water being produced with higher and higher concentrations of the bad chemicals that were showing up in more and more of these monitoring wells. So the trends were upward and up to 2021. And lo and behold, in the spring of 2022, we have this, you know, big leak and indigenous communities downstream from Curl are all up in arms and, and wanting the AER disbanded and the federal government to step in. And this has been a huge this has been a hugely controversial uh, incident, and and uh, again, you can you can read about the column and and many of the other interviews and, and columns I've interviews I've done, columns I've written. So the MFSP, the Mine Financial Security Program, seems to fit very squarely in that kind in that context. Yeah, it it fits within. And to try to spell it out, a context in which the Alberta Energy Regulator is not really that worried about doing anything about this stuff. They they have a little bit of a system together, but they haven't really thought out how it's going to work. Right. So what happens then? And, and now when you say we, they have a little bit of a system, uh, but they don't really, haven't really thought it out. Now we're talking about reclamation, right? Yeah. Reclamation and how you pay for it. Yeah. Reclamation and with the size of the mines and talking about seepage at curl, the other part is just maintenance costs. If one of these companies is no longer maintaining their site and it becomes the government's job to maintain it, uh, just maintenance requires all of those drilling, testing, and pumping every year just to hold the mine where it is. Otherwise, it'll start leaking offsite. Uh, so these costs can go up pretty quick. And that has happened to governments that have been forced to inherit uh, non-profitable mines in the past. It's expensive just to keep them in limbo. Yeah, never mind eventually reclaiming them as they as they should be and really will have to be. 
But and for for listeners who aren't familiar with the oil sands, there are eight big mining projects uh, in northern Alberta, and they have twenty eight tailings ponds. And I have to apologize. I thought for a long time I was saying using the number thirty seven. Turns out that's incorrect. It's twenty eight tailings ponds, and one point three or one point four trillion liters of fluid in those tailings ponds. But I recently interviewed Dr. Heather Kaminsky from uh, the Nate uh, Oil Sands uh, Research Program, and she says there's another three or four hundred million liters that should be added to that number uh, because they pull this little hocus pocus called uh, ready to re reclaim, where they add some chemicals and, you know, I don't know, do an incantation over it or whatever. And suddenly, magically, it's still in the exact same tailings pond. It's not going to be reclaimed, but now they take it out of the inventory. So it should be. So it's really, she says, the number is more like 1.7 trillion liters. So we're, ta we're talking massive tailings ponds with a huge amount of, of uh, fluid really really hard to reclaim uh, there's been what uh 104 acres or hectares reclaimed in 50 60 years is nothing yeah and, and that's why that's the context around which this mine financial security program deficiency is is really important yes um that's that's right. So we're now in 2023 looking at the official estimate of 47 billion. We've collected 1.68 billion, and that's both for oil sands and coal. And a decent share of that is just coal, uh, which the coal mines will consume on their own. Uh, and the suspicious number in the background of that 130 plus, not completely explained yet. Uh, and and so it's interesting for Albertans to wonder how did we get here and where are we going? One of the things I did for part two of the unethical oil series is I interviewed um, the Alberta energy minister at the time uh, who in 2014 shepherded in the Responsible Energy Development Act and the creation of the Alberta energy regulator from the former uh Energy Resources Conservation Board and took some authorities from other departments and made this the AER as it as it stands today. And one of the points that he made was that they made mistakes. For instance, the the, the financial uh, or sorry finance department in the Alberta government uh, came to the energy department of uh, uh, which he was the minister and. We've got to identify this fellow. Uh, his name escapes my uh, escapes me at the moment. Do you know who I'm talking about, Drew? I can't remember offhand. Goodness gracious! Well, uh, and I interviewed him, and it, it's up on our our YouTube uh, web uh, YouTube channel. Anyway, so he tells me he says finance department came and said, you know what, two hundred thirty five, two hundred fifty million dollars to run this AER. Why don't we get industry to do it? Let's get it off our books. You know, instead of paying, having taxpayers pay for it, let's have industry pay for it. And and, and the the ex minister said, you know, you know, made sense. It was driven by finance. We didn't think it was a great idea, but we went along with it. And he said, now you know, industry treats the AER like it's an extension of industry. 
you know, it's like Cosia or Cap or Pathways Alliance. It's like we pay for you. You know, we want what we pay for is is you to approve things and don't get in our way. And and that just it you know the the AER is instead of the Alberta Energy Regulator, it's very often referred to as the Alberta Energy Facilitator. You know, let me get out my rubber stamp, 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 and. Yeah. And this is the uh, more context for the, for the mine, the financial security program. I mean, just nobody really, nobody really seems to care or be prepared to tackle this thing. And there's so much inertia in the other way that overcoming it, you know, political and, 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 and so on would seem almost impossible. Yeah, it, it's, it, and to, to go back into the history of it, the MFSP was, an improvement because before that, or you no, know, I guess I shouldn't say improvement until I get into details. But before that, there really wasn't a system at all. What the Auditor General would point out was the Alberta government is collecting amounts of security for the eventual cleanup of mines. And we can't figure out how they're calculating any of the amounts for any of the companies. And nobody has any idea why we have the amount of money that we do. So we should have a system that somehow calculates it so that later we can explain why we have this amount of money. And the MFSP provides that, at least. It is a system that, well, so much of it is confidential. You can't even see how the numbers exist. But you can sort of see how the numbers are supposed to be calculated. But 2014, we switched to this system. Yeah, when the AER was created. It was yeah. part, of the, part of this package of, of, of new legislation that came in. Now, this, you know, not knowing how things are calculated leads me to my next observation, which is, I think, uh, germane to the Mine Financial Security Program. And that is the lack of transparency in the AER. Everything goes goes on in this black box. Uh, if you FOIP it, like with that, that uh, uh, you got a thousand documents back under a FOIP request from the AER, and weren't half of the pages redacted? Uh, yeah, if you FOIP recent stuff, you will absolutely get most of your pages redacted. I've most recently been trying to fight them over an issue on the conventional field and seeing all of the most of the advice come back redacted. Uh, they will redact all internal advice for 10 to 15 years. Yeah, and when I when I asked the ER, when when the curl story broke in early 2023 i went to an expert dr lauren finch who's a retired wildlife biologist from alberta uh, environment and i said you know what what questions should i be asking the AER, lauren you know so that we can get useful information that experts can then can look at and and provide expert opinion to us and he said find out what the chemicals are you know if, if you don't know what what chemicals are being released into the into the groundwater into the watershed. You really don't know much, uh, and so I went to them and and they just flatly the AER flatly refused. They just said we don't give up. We're not giving out any information uh, during an active investigation. So I, I went to another uh, oil and gas industry veteran who you know remembers what it was like under the EUB and the ERCB, and she said that's crazy. You just you just release dangerous toxic chemicals potentially into the ecosystem where people live, and now you're not going to tell them what chemicals were there. 
and you're not going to give it to the media. And she said previous iterations of the Alberta regulator, when there were these kinds of spills, the regulator would force the companies to release the data publicly. So then third party experts can verify it or, you know, analyze it and, and you can have a proper debate and people can be informed and know what the heck maybe was in their water or not in their water, that sort of thing. And it seems like the AER is just hermetically sealed. Yeah, the it's not a, a completely consistent trend, but you can see less information coming out of the regulators in Alberta over time. Uh, and that's a really unpleasant trend to be able to track because you would you would really expect that they're going to find more ways to tell the public more about what's going on. There's stuff that used to be public years ago that now you can't get. Uh, and that worries me a lot. Well, when you're having conversations with the AER, uh, you know, staff about this kind of stuff, what? How does the conversation go? Uh, I'll mostly interact them with them through email. So I'll send them an email asking for something, or I'll send them an FOI. The people who work at the FOI office are are pretty polite and helpful. Actually, I've, that's why I've been able to get anything at all. If you try to FOI Alberta Health, for instance, you you sometimes just don't hear back at all. They just don't do anything. Uh, but they'll redact their FOI documents as much as they can. And they'll try to send you to other uh, energy regulator departments is pretty standard. Uh, they'll say, well, that's a great question, except I don't know, you should email the guy over in this department. And then that guy won't get back to you. And then you'll go back to the first person. They'll say, well, I'll try to get it. Eventually, you'll give up. Uh, or they'll give you something that's not really what you wanted to begin with. Sending people, giving you the runaround is a really easy way to ruin a request like that. In in fairness to Alberta, um, this became an issue in British Columbia not too long ago. And now for those uh, listeners who maybe aren't Canadian, uh, in Alberta, you have a very, very right-wing conservative government. Uh, and over in British Columbia, you have kind of a middle-of-the-road centrist the NDP used to be the BC NDP, all concerts NDP used to be, you know, left leaning. Now they're kind of the centrist option in Canadian politics. And the the NDP government, since it got in in 2017 in British Columbia, has done essentially the same thing. It, it passed explicit legislation to restrict uh, Freedom of Information uh, Act requests. And this seems to be a trend across governments is to close up and become less and less opaque over over time is very troublesome. And, and I think the fact that, you know, what we're looking at here uh, and in the work that we've, we've energy media has done on the unethical oil series is that it makes it a lot easier for the regulator and the companies to hide stuff, to hide bad stuff. And yeah. so th that's a, there's a very worrying trend uh, at a time when we need more information, not less information. Yeah, that's uh, another topic that I, I happen to know quite a bit about is the Access to Information Act federally and provincially. And both of those things have never worked great. And they they took serious hits under Harper. Trudeau came in on big promises of fixing them, which is totally standard. Most new governments come in on promises they're going to fix the access to information system. He made a couple of improvements that made the system cheaper. And then he stopped and the system's gotten worse. 
So at least now it's cheap and it doesn't work, except it used to be expensive and it didn't work. So we have that, but it, the, the key problem is it doesn't work. It's very, very hard to get information out of the federal government or any provincial government in Canada. This is a, a bit of a tangential point, so bear with me here. But one of the, the issues that's come up over and over again on both the uh, conventional product oil and gas side and on the oil sands is the AER's horrendous data management system. Now, you might say, well, data management, God, that's boring. What do I care about data management? You know, the, do I care if the, the, the regulator uh, gets the, you know, industry data and does something with it? Do I care if they share it? Do I care if they, you know, yeah, because this is a, the the industry goes, one of the things I've learned in just in writing this, this recent column is how much sampling and monitoring the industry does. They do a tremendous amount of it. And there's been a complaint for a long time that they give it to the regulator and it just goes into this big black hole. They have, they have no idea if the regulator uh, reviews it. They have, they don't seem to get any feedback from the regulator that, that, that is, you know, useful in terms of their, you know, management. Um, and I interviewed the uh, fellow who, when the AER was created, happened to be in charge of the, the data uh, architect the architecture. And, and I couldn't, I had to get granted anonymity because he would have been identified and, and uh, you know, he still works in the industry uh, and he's in uh, part two of the, of our series. And, and he said, you have no idea how bad it is. They have databases. The AR has databases that can't talk to each other. They're, they're unintegrated. They have, historical data that would be very useful for wells and oil sands that are in paper locked away in a room someplace can't get access to it uh, they don't know what to do they, there's no way to to integrate the the industry data which would be very useful you know so all of these databases could could talk to each other and yet at the same time the industry the AER brags all the time about how it's a world-class regulator and it has this one 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 stop, you know, online portal that is supposed to be, you know, the greatest thing since sliced bread. And and behind the scenes, it's exactly the opposite. It's like whatever the AER says, whatever the regulator says, you should immediately assume, no, the opposite is true. And, and I don't know, what do you make of that? Um, yeah, I think they've for a long time had dreams of having a really effective computer system that's going to gather all this data, understand it, and, and make progressive decisions based on this data. Uh, and they've never come close. They're undertaking this year and into next year a program to figure out which of the facilities for the conventional field are active because they have so many that have that are marked active but not connected to any active well which means they're active, but there's nothing for them to process, which is impossible, or they're just marked unknown for years at a time. So they, and I, they know about that problem since 2019. So four years, they've been looking at this, trying to sort out, hell, our, our database is full of all these blank boxes. Why? What, what are we going to do? And they're, I, I guess in the fifth year, they're finally going to fix it. That's the pace at which they are, fixing their data and that's why their estimates of liability in the conventional field sorry to go back to conventional field again 
are tough to rely on. They don't even know what stuff is currently turned on. The, I'll, I'll tell you a little story from the my interview with the data dude. And and he said, because uh, they had been wrestling with exactly that issue 12, 13, 14 years ago. And he said, I got direction from the executive to go down, you know, to, to design this system that would work. The system we always say we have, but we don't have, but, you know, we want it to work. So he said, I did. I designed a system that would work and I gave him a budget and it was big. I mean, you just don't do this kind of data management on a shoestring budget. And because, you know, the industry pays for it, it got presented to the industry representatives. I don't know if they fell off their chair laughing, but at the end of it, it was like, hell no, we're not giving you that money. No way. And the government wasn't going to pay for it. And so it languished and and they kept, you know, they brought out their, their bubble gum and, and binder twine to keep the existing system together and do it as, as best they could. That's my takeaway from this. And if the AER is listening and, and wants to show that in fact, they have a spanky new uh, data management system that they haven't told anybody about, I'd be happy to stand corrected, but I don't think that's the case. And, and so the picture we're painting here, Drew, is of a, a regulator that literally brags on the world stage that it is world-class. It is one of the best regulators. And, and, and the Canadian Association of Petroleum Producers 10 years ago actually uh, commissioned Worley Parsons to do a study on this. And this is how they do it. They The, the idea was to compare uh, regulators in, in jurisdictions like Alberta. So, you know, the UK and, and Norway and US, places like that. And the legislation and regulations as designed, Alberta was one and two. Absolutely. But they specifically, CAP specifically, excluded from the terms of reference performance. So you can have the best rules in the world, and if you don't abide by them, if you simply exercise discretion or you look the other way or you don't have enough resources, I mean, in fairness to the AER, it's seriously understaffed. Yeah. You know, so, you know, they just don't have the horsepower there a lot of times to to pay attention and to do the, the work that needs to be done. So it's not entirely, you know, the I mean, there's a lot of good people there who do the best work they can under very difficult circumstances. But this comes... This is extraordinary. We are looking at the an existential crisis for the oil and gas industry, which has approximately two hundred and sixty to three hundred billion dollars of environmental liabilities. At the same time, the whole thing is going to hell in a handbasket. That is, a, it's it's a crisis of such a magnitude that I, I, most Albertans probably can't wrap their heads around. It. E I, I want to say more here than yes. Uh, so I'm I've got to come up with more to say than yeah. That that to my great frustration has been the result of years of looking at the AER for me. There there was a long time where I spent pulling month after month data table after data table, hoping to kind of do like the string on the wall thing where I'll be like, I see how it makes sense. I see how they're setting the orphan well levy. I see how they're doing it. This is and eventually one day having to sit down when I would FOI a document and finally get something in my hands that said, yeah, they have no idea what they're doing. 
yeah, you were wasting your time. There's there was no internal explanation of how they were setting that. They were just picking random numbers every year. And that didn't feel good. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's a problem. I, I and you know, and I've spent time with Mark Dorn, who's a land advocate and for for farmers and landowners in Alberta who are dealing with uh, the, the government on conventional oil and gas. Now, I don't, the stuff that Mark has, uh, he's an expert in administrative law. So he gets into the, boy, you want to talk about getting into the weeds. These are weeds that are 10 feet tall and, and he knows his way around them. I don't. And probably you don't either. I mean, it's just really complex stuff. Uh, and, you know, and I've gone out on sites with him and he'll say, well, look, this is, you know, you'll give me the history and say, well, this is wrong and that's wrong and they're breaking this law and they, you know, all and on and on and on. I don't know if it's true, but good God, it's a, it's a, a story that, a, you know, curl your hair it, it, and, you know, throw that in with all of the other bits of conversation that we've had here today. And and it is not a good situation. And so the, I guess the where we've gone in this conversation, Drew, is we started off with the Mine Financial Security Program, where the liabilities grew by 40% in one year, literally with not much explanation. Security grew nothing. In the last year that, that's covered, zero security was added, right? Uh, for the oil sands, yes. Now the the joined the forty percent increase includes both coal, coal and oil sands. It's possible coal somehow did that. I don't know what one coal miner would have had to do to get that kind of liability bump. So I think it's safe to assume a good share of that is in the oil sands. I don't know if it's evenly dispersed across the oil sands operators or one oil sand mine. I don't know. One oil sand mine might have like increased their liability estimate by like 800%. DAER provides no hint. There's no way to know that. Um, but for the oil sands, yeah, this is another year of collecting zero dollars. Yeah, and we should point out that the coal production in Alberta is not huge. I mean, we're talking, I don't know what percentage the oil sands would make up of the mine financial security program, but pretty much all of it, most yeah. of it. Yeah, I think coal has to be less than 10%, probably less than 5%. Yeah, there's, that, that would there's be not a tiny number of coal mines, but most of them are already partially closed down. Right. I mean, in, in, in part because the, the province has been phasing out coal in its power sector. Yeah, and but partially I, just age. Lots of them were closed before that even happened. Sure. So... One of the reasons why I wanted to do this the podcast this way, Drew, is because you and I have had, I don't know, I probably interviewed 12, you 12 or 15 times, maybe 20 times on this kind of stuff. And every time we do, we do a little slice of the problem. And the, one of the issues, I think, for Albertans, for, for Canadians, because the oil sands is a huge part of the Canadian economy. It is 11% of Canadian greenhouse gas emissions. It's a big massive part of the the alberta economy on and on and on and taking uh making the uh reporting of stories and making criticisms of the oil sands one little sliver at a time is doesn't give albertans or canadians a way to wrap their arms around the bigger issues that we've talked about today and i think that was a really important context in which to situate the mine financial security program changes 
So, and and there there we have it, folks. Uh, you spend any time in this, and it gets to be gobsmacking. Uh, so, but you can read all about that in the unethical oil series that we're doing. And give you some some more detail, Drew. Thank you very much. Uh, enlightening conversation as always, and we'll look forward to more interviews in the future. All right, same, and nice to talk to you again. Thank you.